Weather today in the ground. I love you so badly. I could... They're solid plastic, so don't settle for imitation. But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. <laughs> Good evening, this is Jean Bennett, and this is the best of an Alan Smithy podcast. You give us 64 minutes and we'll give you 64 minutes of words. I know you think I'm no match for you, baby. You like making it rough on me, don't you? My, 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 back to the shack. Ah, ah, yeah. There ain't nothing suits me better than that. From the 7th of June 2013, it's a double feature discussion of Harold Ramis's 1980 Kaddishak and Alan Arkush's 1988 sequel. Kadishak 2. Hi everyone, welcome to an Alan Smithy podcast. My name is Matt and my blog is cinemachine.blogspot.com. And I'm Andrew and my blog is thestopbutton.com. And this is our little podcast where we talk about uh, movies, usually in double features, sometimes with commentary tracks. And uh, this episode is a double feature of Caddyshack 1 and 2. Probably infamous the, as a pair of sequels where un, the first one is universally beloved and the second is kind of universally uh, hated and despised. So uh, as we usually do these things, we're going to talk about the first film first. Um, I don't know about you. I've seen Caddyshack, you know, in, including television viewings and all that, ten, probably close to ten times. What about you? Um, probably six. I, I mean, it never was on cable or it was never on broadcast when I was a kid because I think HBO had it or something. So I never caught it on TV till later, but Meatballs was the one that I saw, which actually ties into Caddyshack, of course. Well, that's funny because I've never actually seen Meatballs. Yeah, and I can't which, remember which is part it, yeah. of the whole, Which is part of the whole uh, epoch of movies that Caddyshack was a part of, like uh, the whole SNL first five years onto National Lampoons and Animal House and, uh, you know, a little SCTV in there. Of course, uh, Caddyshack is the first film of Harold Ramis, who had, like, just came off of the first season of SCTV at this point. And it's, uh, like, an all-star cast, but I think it's kind of odd that it's a real ensemble piece, and yet uh, it's got two, you know, the two biggest names from Saturday Night Live, but, like, they actually don't, like, build the movie around them. It's a true ensemble piece, which is kind of, you know, it kind of gives it an old-fashioned quality, I think. Uh, yeah. The Caddyshack has, like, this throwback kind of feeling to it in a way because, like, it's a comedy about golf, number one, and golf is this you know, it's like Bob Hope makes jokes about golf, right? It's like it's, it was pretty square in, in 1980, but you know, then you have Bill Murray uh, smoking the grass that's made of marijuana, and you know, suddenly it's a it's a hip golf comedy. Although I'm sure, uh, you know, it wasn't thought of as hip at the time. No, it, it was. I mean, it's, it was. It, yeah, it was, it was. It was part of this series. Of, yeah, I mean, Bill Murray's first movie was Meatballs, and that was just the year before this. Yeah, and I mean it was. It's definitely part of the Animal House thing, and um, you, know what, you know what I never noticed. Uh, Danny Noonan's girlfriend, Miles O'Keefe's uh, girlfriend, is the girl in uh, Animal House. Who the joke is that it, she's been statutorily raped. <laughs> oh God, is it? I think I knew that, and I sort of <laughs> forgot. Um, yeah, and. I don't know if you read the trivia page on IMDb, but I guess there's a documentary on the the latest DVD release, the 20th anniversary or 19th. Well, that was like back when yeah were booming. This was like a big uh, DVD release. It was a big DVD release, and there's a documentary where they talk about um, that the big names were also originally guest stars. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah, they, I remember 
Harold Ramis and talking about that in the documentary and stuff. And that, I guess that kind of makes sense. And, and yet the script has three, you know, writers on it, uh, two of whom I think besides Harold Ramis were like SNL writers. Yeah. And, and uh, like it's kind of seamless the way the movie balances the ensemble. Um, so I don't know. I guess they were just like working, you know, every single day on the set of the movie and stuff, just kind of finessing it and, you know, they were figuring out who was going to have what time as it went along. The movie has kind of like a, an improvised feeling to it, which makes it feel really casual, like in a weird way, because like, obviously it's a, it's an over the top comedy in many ways. I mean, it opens with a gopher puppet and yet there's this real kind of like slice of life quality to it for mo- most of it, because the plot never really matters. Uh, you know, what little plot there is and the the drama of Miles O'Keefe, you know, maybe maybe, maybe his girlfriend's pregnant, maybe he's going to get the money for the caddying scholarship. It's like, you know, that, it, it, the movie really doesn't have those kinds of preoccupations with what's going to happen. So it's got a laid back feeling to it, which is probably a big part of its popularity and its rewatchability for people. Because yeah. people do see this movie over and over and, and they remember the lines and they quote it and like, the, there's kind of a subculture of quoting Caddyshack and you know Caddyshack fandom that's had some. It, it's its heyday is probably long over. I think there was an Onion uh, headline or you know about like man celebrates 20th year of quoting Fletch. It's like <laughs> that. It's like that kind of cultural touchstone. Quoting Caddyshack liberally is probably about as relevant now or as hip now as quoting Fletch liberally. But it, for a while there it was like a, a you know a go-to reference point yeah and i think that um well i, I think that the original cut was four and a half hours and so then they went to, <laughs> they went to work on it because the four and a half hour cut had the italian guy in it more because i guess he's really been out of shape that he got so little time in caddyshack even though he filmed more so you know they cut it down to 98 minutes Okay, you know what I said about finessing the script yeah. <laughs> a few minutes ago? Yeah, never mind. That explains everything. Well, no, apparently, uh, like the Bill Murray, <coughs> excuse me, the Bill Murray scene where he's checking out the old lady's butts when he's cleaning the ball. Yeah. Yeah. According to IMDb, the, the original scene as cut was a half hour. It was a half hour of Bill Murray because all of his stuff, most of his stuff was ad-libbed. The whole scene with him and Chevy Chase was ad-libbed. And right. I mean, it's just like, yeah, so you have this weird thing where... Bill Murray and Chevy Chase kind of do the uh, Al Pacino and Robert yeah, De Niro. De Niro that's what it is. Heat thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, where they're, the, they're the two huge names, so they only have one scene together in the whole movie, and they didn't even and they, they didn't even realize that they didn't have a scene together until they were shooting it, and they're like, "Oh, well, you guys just make something up," and they did. They made it work. They, they should have gone through. Somebody should go through it and and do the sound the way they do the heat sound, where you know the the. The background noise fades off, so you could do that at Caddyshack. It opens with all the crickets, and it's just them talking very oddly. Uh, it'd be like Garfield without Garfield, only, only a, um, a yeah. movie clip. Yeah, and that scene's awesome. And that's the thing that I don't know if it it didn't bug me, but it surprised me the most about this time I saw Caddyshack. Chevy Chase is amazing; like he's great. <laughs> well, he's only. <laughs> You know, you've seen Foul Play, but I think he only has two, you know, okay, maybe one really great film role. And perhaps this, yeah, this is better than Fletch, but maybe it's hard to tell because he doesn't have to carry this movie. He's he's part of the group. Yeah. But, and- yet, but, but when he shows up, yeah, it's just it's just the right amount of Chevy Chase and it's and it works perfectly. And he's and he's playing off of these other guys, like you know, he's, nobody's. Oh yeah, the scene that's where a, nobody nobody is like having to carry the movie, and it really like it's so like Rodney Dangerfield and Ted Knight is the is the funniest thing ever because they're just like you know polar uh, opposites and the perfect uh, antitheses to each other. And in such a classical way too. I mean, the tagline for this movie and the whole premise that the sequel took disastrously to heart of uh, it being about the snobs versus the slobs. It's, you know, first of all, you know, without getting into Caddyshack 2, there shouldn't be any great meaning derived from that, but especially not in Caddyshack 1 because, like, Rodney Dangerfield's character is rich. Uh, uh, 
um, you know, Chase's character is rich. Uh, only like kind of Bill Murray is a headliner who is actually on a, a slob so socioeconomic level, and then Danny is you know the underdog with a heart of gold. So you know he's not really like a ba- a, a slob or a weirdo like the others. But uh, man, Ted Knight is uh, pro- easily, easily the funniest guy in the movie. I oh, think he's awesome. He's just <laughs> even slightly edging out Rodney Rodney Dangerfield. It, it's it's almost uncomfortable how awful Judge Smales is. Like, <laughs> well, you know, he's he sent boys younger than you to the chair. He didn't want to do it. He felt he owed it to him. <laughs> but I feel like it, it's it's different than the world needs ditch diggers too. You know, that's a great line. People yeah. ought to use that all the time. <laughs> but uh, uh, the world needs ditch diggers too. You know, uh, when you compare it to something like Animal House. The well, villains in that scene. It's the Animal House, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it really has. And I wonder if that's the further you got from the memory of John Belushi. Yeah. And then this one had, you know, <laughs> six years after Animal House. And now now what's the comedy? I mean, I don't even think there is one. It's it's something mo- it's something really recent and modern. Like kids today are probably like, dude, remember knocked up when you know well, just something. No, awful. no, it's. <laughs> I think the forty old forty year old virgin is going to be a Caddyshack for for uh, the next generation. <sighs> but <laughs> um, no, actually, and then there's the odd thing of you couldn't have the Apatow uh, film uh, film legacy without without the legacy that Caddyshack was sprung from, and it, and it was a direct uh, you know kind of result. And something I wanted to mention about the Murray and uh, uh, Chase scene is that it's got this real kind of innocent quality to it, like because I guess movies of this epoch and and Meatballs and uh, Animal House, like when they do drugs on screen, it's they've got like you can feel from the actors this feeling of like wow I can't believe we're getting away with this you know like we're we're doing this uh, in a in a feature film comedy from a major studio the same way <laughs> like on on Saturday Night Live like you know all the drug references had that giddiness of you know I can't believe we're getting away with this and that's what I love about the scene between Murray and Chase but what were you going to say about the villains in Animal House? They're too over the top. John Vernon's as over the top in Animal House as he is in, you know, some terrorist thriller, right? But Judge Smales is very believable. Like, yeah, Caddyshack never really pushes it toward the unbelievable. Um, except, except when uh, Murray's fighting the gopher puppet. Except when Murray's fighting the gopher puppet when they're doing the boat incident. Oh, yeah, the boat sequence. That's Because yeah. I'm like... <laughs> Kind of comes out of a Jerry Lewis movie, randomly. You're just like, what? Get, get. I think the judge would have figured out how to make Rodney Dangerfield pay for that before, you know. <laughs> and then, yeah. So I mean, those are the two outrageous moments. But otherwise, it's pretty well grounded. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's that odd thing of like the movie starts to begin as the story of the caddies and you open with Miles O'Keefe's, uh, you know, giant Irish family and they've got the family till and, you know, he doesn't want to work in the lumber yard and all that stuff. And even when he's like uh, talking to Denunzio, I don't remember the actor's name, but, uh, you know, the Italian kid, uh, and they're, he's going to fight him. And then Brian Doyle Murray comes out and says, you know, there's a lot of poor caddying going on here. Like <laughs> it's, it, it really feels like this is this down to earth story that's developing. And then the movie gets less down to earth, like as it goes along, but, but it's, but it works like it's great. And then it kind of all comes back together at the end with, you know, Miles O'Keefe having to sink the putt and save the day. So it all kind of has like a, a, a circular nature to it, like starting down to earth and then looping all the way around through the wacky vignettes of, of the club members before coming back to where it started. And it just, yeah, it's sort of like, I'm not surprised that they filmed four hours for this or four and a half because that that's what it feels. That's how it feels. It was made when you're watching it. Like they just, they must've just like filmed tons of great stuff and then cut it down cut it down to the absolute best yeah not not that every joke in the movie works i mean you know <laughs> not with if without me giving it too much of a tongue bathing you know there's definitely some lines that fall flat and whatnot like 
you know, did you hear the one of you know the when the reveal joke of uh, Smales uh, telling the the joke about the Catholic and the Jews and the Irishman or whatever to the priest? And yeah, and I I think that the priest sequence and the gag that follows directly with the shoe shine guy uh, making the sparks come off of uh, Smales' shoes. Yeah, and yeah, the the. <laughs> the the uh, golfing in the rain sequence is sort of barely saved by Murray being there. It's not yeah, like who's this priest guy? Like he's not funny. And then all. then they have the priest more. Yeah, it's it's clearly cut down. And I mean, well, not clearly because nobody like knew that. Um, s- similarly, the Breakfast Club has you know the six hour cut that that went into John Hughes's coffin. Um, <laughs> And yeah, so I mean, they just would have kept the best stuff since so much of it was just these guys going crazy. Like if if yeah. if you think that they kept everything in this movie that they had of uh, Bill Murray, Chevy Chase, Rodney Dangerfield, and probably about half of Ted Knight stuff, okay, so except you know a half hour of Bill Murray doing the ball washing scene, so <laughs> you know, let's say they're in this movie for an hour. So you only had 38 minutes of Miles O'Keefe, which means there's like a two and a half hour movie out there of just Miles O'Keefe's girlfriend problems. The Miles O'Keefe cut of Caddyshack really needs to happen. Uh, Criterion can get on it. It's kind of surprising they didn't just throw it on the DVD because, like you said, it came in the heyday of it. It's like Warner would have been like... You, you can buy it in a, in a collectible huge golf ball and it's got like six discs. They did put a couple of deleted scenes into that DVD, mm-hmm. like actually with uh, Chase and Murray again, where like uh, Murray's driving a, a golf car, a golf ball catcher vehicle on the on the links. Anyways, yeah, it, it's it, that that laid back kind of lackadaisical quality is you know part of the the charm, and um, you know it was uh, even the uh, even the trailer kind of shows it off as a as a like it doesn't favor any one star over any other. Let's see. You know, <laughs> the uh, the baby Ruth in the in the pool scene. I mean, talk about your progenitors of kind of the quote unquote modern gross out comedy. Yeah, and there really there really isn't anything like that in in Animal House. Is like rude as that movie is there's nothing really sort of gross like the baby ruth gag and then the baby ruth gag is, is just a baby ruth which is kind of why it's brilliant and it's almost it, it feels like a way of getting a real poo joke into into a major movie at the time and kind of <laughs> sk- skirting the censors to do it by having it be like no it's just a candy bar and <laughs> takes a bite of it well that whole sequence of course starts with the the sign of caddy's welcome to pool like one o'clock to one fifteen, oh, yeah. and so it's like you're watching and you're like, I wonder if they can actually make it because the whole sequence is four and a half minutes maybe, and it's just like it's one of the most memorable. I think it's probably the most memorable one in the movie, just because every time you see a mo- a pool that size or a movie with a pool that size, you're like, yeah, there could be a candy bar there. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of having having it be uh, the fifteen minute caddy break for for the pool time is is a great flimsy excuse for having a pool scene that might not be there. I guess I guess like the you know the divide between the caddies and the uh, the snobs of Bushwood. It's like it sort of um, feels like it's social commentary but it's not because like as a classical kind of comedy it's not concerned with that i mean it's sort of like saying that in marx brothers movies that like margaret dumont is some kind of biting social satirical figure it's like no she's just a doofy old rich lady who doesn't know any better and is fooled easily but it's not any kind of uh, comment on on high society Although I don't know, I mean, like you said, Smales is uh, believable enough that when he says uh, that he's sent boys younger than Danny to the chair, you do get kind of a chill up your spine. Yeah, he's uh, well. Then of course he's even worse when um, what is it? He like has that whole scene where Lacey, after Danny's gotten busy with Lacey, Smales gives him the scholarship back to keep his mouth shut about her being a a, a tarnished angel or whatever. <laughs> Right, right. How about a fresca? 
Yeah. So it's just, uh, yeah, they, they did a really good job because Ted Knight, well, actually, no, this is pretty much who Ted Knight played on Too Close for Comfort, only he wasn't lovable in Caddyshack, if you think about it. Yeah. Because he used to yell at Monroe and... Yeah, he's a, he's a curmudgeon on Mary Tyler Moore, right? He's an idiot on Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, he's um, kind of more more of a jerk in uh, Caddyshack, not really a dummy, but yeah. Yeah, and then who else? Uh, don't they have a... Who's his partner for the match at the end? Um, it's, it's Ty Webb. It, or... No, no. Oh, oh it's Smale, the priest again. The pri- no, but that's yeah. a different priest. There's like a priest and an archbishop. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Well, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's the that. doctor. It's the doctor, and the gag is the doctor never helps the, um... Oh, the beeper that's always going yeah. off that he ignores, right? Exactly, that's one. <laughs> It's one of the one of the less memorable uh, recurring jokes in but Caddyshack. One of the it starts at one of the big jokes, which is of course Rodney Dangerfield's wacky golf clubs, which uh, inspired something that we'll talk about in a little bit. But <laughs> yeah, so there's this great scene where, and that's the other thing I love about it is it's never clear why or how Rodney Dangerfield keeps on getting into the club. <laughs> it's the kind of thing that if you stop to think about the movie would unravel entirely because it's like, you know, why don't they just throw the Marx Brothers out of the room, these high society people? Why are they putting up with this nonsense? That that's that that's the feeling you get when uh when Dangerfield makes his entrance in the movie. And it's it's not his Dangerfield's first movie. Like he'd done, but he'd only done a couple of movies before this. And the one before it is like this kind of uh, I've heard it described as like an artsy sort of comedy from like '72. It's him and Chuck McCann. It's called The Projectionist, and it's a it's kind of like a Walter Mitty type of comedy where a Chuck McCann is a movie projectionist who imagined himself and his himself in the movies, and Dangerfield is the villain. And then Dangerfield wasn't really like a a movie star after this either uh you know he did his next two movies were like three years apart and easy money in 83 and then uh back to school in 86 which think, like you know made him made him a, a movie star for a little bit yeah yeah back but, that, to school but that wasn't but that wasn't until six years after caddyshack so caddyshack was like successful but not you know it's it it's lasting effect is is where is what's awe-inspiring not you know Whatever. I don't. I don't think people really. Well, that's not true. I mean, because Animal House made so much money that it really sort of set a precedent the way Jaws and Star Wars did, but for comedy, where it's like you know being the highest grossing comedy. Uh, and Caddyshack, you know, was not probably a serious contender for that for very long. Probably not even compared to uh, Porky's, which came out uh, two years later and also has uh, Denunzio in it. Playing a Jewish kid <laughs> because it, because Jews and Italians are interchangeable with actors pretty much. Yeah, he looks like oh god, what's the guy's name? Bobby Sassoni, uh, who was in uh, Big Red One. I'm like sitting there through the whole movie. I'm like, hey, it's the guy from the Big Red One. Oh, I gotta watch that again. I haven't seen that since. And then I went and looked it up, and now it's somebody totally different and who's very bent out of shape about his his big moments being cut out of Caddyshack. Um, he shouldn't he shouldn't be so bitter though because he got to be in three Porky's movies after this. Or weren't there four Porky's movies, or is it just three? It's just three. I'm thinking of Revenge three. of the Nerds. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, well, but my point about uh, Rodney Dangerfield was just that his entrance, like, fe- feels like it could have been any of Groucho Marx's entrances. Like, it's that good, and and he's definitely like modding, modeling himself on that as far as his performance. Yeah, just with the constant patter and the one-liners. But the thing is, like, he can actually work it because he's, you mm-hmm. know, he, as we know, he was, you know, becoming one of the, you know, great stand-ups. So he's just like with the one-liners, it's uh, it's pretty much seamless. Pretty like. And none of them ever miss, really, that I can think of. Even even the sh- even the shittiest lines he sells, like "Did somebody step on a duck?" It's like, <laughs> or, or or whatever. But like he he just like the faces he makes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like 
when he says when he says you know of Smale's hat, then he you bet he gets the bowl of soup. Oh, it looks good on you though. The face he makes with oh, it looks good on you though. I mean, <laughs> that gets me every time. Jeez. Yeah, so, and then there's the great scene where they're at the dinner that night that makes no sense. <laughs> right, where again he just shows up and starts like insulting everybody, and there's no there's no reason they couldn't just throw him out, but he's in full on Groucho Marx mode. Yeah. Um... Want to make fourteen bucks the hard way? <laughs> again, like not a not a great line, but the way he says it, his delivery just sells it so hard. Oh, Captain Hook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, I guess he's the one who sort of has to take the, the back seat in the finale. That Because uh, Chevy yeah, Chase way, gets yeah. bigger on it. And they actually don't really do anything together. They do, they do a little quiet, like a few quiet things. Rodney oh, yeah, Chase and, Chevy Chase. Chase and Dangerfield, yeah, like at the country club with, with uh, Smales when they're making the bet Yeah, the but end of the movie. They don't actually um, have any big sequence together, which is... No. I mean, I guess Chase doesn't actually have a lot of big sequences with anybody besides um, Cindy Morgan and... Uh, Danny Michael at the O'Keefe. beginning. Yeah, and then otherwise he's just around a bit, but he never... Like he's not at the yacht club or anything. Um, yeah, he probably he might actually be in the movie the least. Although I, no, he didn't have top billing. It was, it was interesting. I watched the trailer, and like I said, they don't really favor anyone over anyone else. But in the trailer, and I think in the opening titles, uh, Dangerfield might be uh, titled first. It's him or Chase. But I mean, if it's a uh, danger field that kind of would have been something that really is kind of like a trying to make a breakout role for him but then it's like you know and bill murray as carl and carl's in quotes because he's like the fourth banana even behind uh ted, ted knight, knight. Yeah. yeah well my, my michael o'keefe doesn't get anything. well yeah, they, yeah. but then it, like when they sh- when they credit him it's like starring michael o'keefe but he's not one of the headliners and he's not on the poster either i mean it's the four of those guys on the poster as well and, you know, some people just don't belong. Well, I mean, it's, you know, he, he sort of is journeying through the movie. It's it's sort of his encounters with these wacky guys. Then we go off with them. It splits off. And once he, he crosses paths with them, we can follow them around the view. Uh, the viewer, which is right. what makes it, like you said, like an older comedy but it also makes you wonder who made all those editorial decisions. Was it Ramis? Was it the editor? You know, I didn't even think to to check out uh, who the editor was. I'm going to have to check that here, like, because watch it be like Mark Goldblatt or something, like, <laughs> or Ray Lovejoy. Like, oh, that explains it. Uh, who is it? I guess, you know, Harold Ramis, I mean, did he direct Stripes the, the year yeah, after this? Yeah, he did. Was that him or, mm-hmm. was that Ivan Wright, or was that Ivan Reitman? Well, it's sort of credited as one of his things. Maybe he wrote it. I don't know. I mean, he co-stars in it, which is, that's kind of odd in of itself that he would direct it one year and then the next year kind of co-star with Murray, whom he directed in this. And then... I'm sure Stripes made more money than, than Caddyshack. It's William C. Carruth was the editor who also did... Uh, oh, look. He did a bunch of stuff that's been recut. He did Alien 3, which we all know was recut. He did Bad Boys, which was recut. He did Scent of a Woman, which I feel like was probably recut. He's only ever edited eight movies. Oh wow! Oh, he, he did sound. sound he, oh yeah, he was the sound editor on. <laughs> he those. did. He did The Walking Dead, uh, but not the one you're thinking of. Something from 1995. Yeah, n- never mind anything I said about what he'd worked on. He was just recording the looping. Um, <laughs> how, uh, uh, FM. So he got he got the job based on I his have, comedy. Yeah. I, uh, 
Oh, Island of Doctor. He was an assistant uh, editor on Island of Doctor Moreau. That was probably a big disaster that needed fixing. But hey, look at this. He was also an uncredited assistant editor on uh, Jaws. So we learned under uh, Vera. Is it Vera Miles or Vera Field? A little bit. The editor on Jaws. I can't remember? Didn't was she the one who retired right away? I think she is. Yeah. Yeah. And was ahead of Universal. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean. I get I, the editing's really I, seamless through the whole movie. So, I guess you know all we've really done for the last half hour is describe how great this movie is, which we almost never do. But uh, I can't nitpick because it's sort of like the flaws are so char- the few flaws are so characteristic to the entire piece that they're just sort of endearing, and that's the highest compliment you could pay anything is that its imperfections sort of add to its charm and it has so few to begin with. So folks, Caddyshack. Caddyshack. <laughs> what can you, what can anyone say at this point? We haven't said anything. We've just, we've just lavished praise on it. So now, now it gets a little more interesting. Yeah. Uh, after the commercial, little, we're going to take a little break, but, uh, Join us in a moment for uh, for the the horror. That's oh, going please! To <laughs> it began as a storybook romance. Nicole, this is it. We're each other's destiny. It became a broken marriage. I'm in a divorce, Georgia. And now it's a murder mystery. I didn't kill anyone. The O.J. Simpson story. We still need to record a bumper for the Lamb Podcasting Network. What should we say? First, we should let everyone know who we are and the title of the show. Like, we're Jess and Rachel from the Real Insight Podcast. And we need to explain what the show's about. You mean, like, we cover one actor's career every other week? But don't forget that we also talk new movies that we've recently seen, and we also discuss a random topic in every episode. Oh, there's just one more thing. We kind of have to keep it clean. What? That. Real Insight. Check us out at realinsight.podomatic.com or subscribe through iTunes. It's been 30 years since they last attacked. There's so many of them. Where's your sister? And now the next chapter to Hitchcock's classic is about to unfold. The Birds 2, Land's End. Why haven't you seen Jaws? I've seen Finding Nemo. That's close enough, right? Why haven't you seen The Usual Suspects? Because I already know who Kaiser Soze is. I can't believe you haven't seen Videodrome. What? Has anyone seen Videodrome? You haven't haven't seen Videodrome. Okay, okay, okay. How about I start a podcast where someone will introduce me to one of these great movies I've never seen before. And in return, I'll have them watch a superhero movie, film-wise. The Why Haven't You Seen This Film podcast. Find it on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. And we're back. Um, all right, so I, I heard a, a note of dismay at my, um, you know, perhaps prejudicial uh, comments. Um, but what, explain, explain your fondness for this film. Let's also let everyone know that when we were talking about this episode, you were like, oh, I've already seen Caddyshack 2, and wow. Um, so a few years ago, I watched Caddyshack 2 again. I, I'd seen it a lot as a kid because, you know, I wasn't allowed to see R-rated movies, and like I said, Caddyshack didn't play on uh, network reruns. or And it was PG-13, not R, right? Caddyshack so... 2's just PG. Oh, okay. Um... So I saw it a lot. Um, I remember vividly that the catalog I ordered my Batman the movie uh, toys out of, the Warner Brothers store catalog, had all this Caddyshack 2 crap they had left in <laughs> um, it was just, It was just one of those movies that I saw a lot as a kid. Um, so I watched it a few years ago, and I, I wrote a post about it for the stop button, and I, I gave it one star, and I said, that I thought it was fine, and so before I watched it this time, I went and I I read the the post again, and I you know I thought about it, and, and I started the movie, and I'd been dreading watching the movie where because uh, I was I was worried about it, and no, yeah. I mean I 
you know, I, I, I put it on Facebook. I'm like, I have a fondness for Caddyshack too. And this friend of mine's like, why would you make that statement? I'm like, I like Jackie Mason's cat skills thing. Like, I, th- I you know, I'm fine with it. Like, I think he dresses like a, a retired transvestite or something. But other than that, like, it's yeah. very odd. And you see him with his shirt off, which is terrible. But I like Jonathan Silverman as the young everyman. I like, and I, Robert Stack making a complete ass out of himself is funny. And I'm not saying there aren't terrible things in the movie. Like they're, I mean, Chevy Chase, <laughs> if you actually were to compare Chevy Chase in this movie to the first Caddyshack, you wouldn't even think it was the same person. I don't know how, but he looks older in this movie than he does in Fletch Lives. And this was the year before Fletch Lives. He's, chunky and like his hair he's like stopped trying to pretend he's going bald so now he's trying to do like the hip late 80s balding thing he's like the fake pierced ear it's just hideous oh i know and he's he's kind of dressed like fletch in this movie too he's wearing like lakers t-shirts and and sports jacket and he's an idiot in a different way than he was in the first one he was just like a rich boob I mean, that was the joke. He was a rich boob who, like, had so much money he didn't think about anything. In this one, he's a complete idiot. Yeah. In this, yeah, one, he's, he's in this one, he's like, well, in this one, he's like he is in Fletch Lives. I mean, it's the same kind of, like, hateful version of Chevy Chase that he ruined himself with. It's, yeah, uncomfortable to watch him. Not um, that not that he doesn't have a funny line or two. I mean, I like the line about, uh, you know, well, he's good with Jackie Mason, actually. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, when Jackie Mason says, oh, this place looks like, uh, you know, if the Germans had won, won the war. And he says, oh, lucky for us, the Japanese won the war. <laughs> I mean, that's a good line. Yeah. And so one of the other things is, um, and I, I did the research on this, but apparently Harold Ramis co-wrote this. Except they butchered it, and so he. But he didn't take his name off of it. Well, from Poss- what I can tell, reading the production history, um, Rodney Dangerfield was signed on because uh, you know, like I said, uh, Back to School was two years before this, and even though it had been six years since Caddyshack, it's like, oh, Rodney Dangerfield's a movie star now. Hey, how about Caddyshack too? Sounds like a good idea. And then Harold Ramis like writes a script, you know, with him in mind, um, and. I think also Sam Kinison because Sam Kinison had that, you know, big scene in the back to school that, that made him really popular. And, uh, and then like Dangerfield just says, uh, he doesn't want to do it anymore. I mean, I don't know if that was after reading Ramus's script, but of course with him goes, you know, goes Kinison and, you know, a lot of probably any other chance at getting some better names than Robert Stack and Jonathan Silverman. And, uh, Randy Quaid. Oh, so yeah, Randy Quaid was going to <laughs> Sam Kennison was going to do the Randy Quaid part in this to, to kind of give you an idea of the cast. But that's the cast in this movie. I mean, it's kind of like downgraded versions of everybody. Jackie Mason. It's like, oh, it's another Jewish Catskills, uh, you know, Borscht Belt comedian type with with bulging eyes. Uh, he'll he'll do. <laughs> and yeah, and so. Well, I actually like Jonathan Silverman more in this than I like my, uh, Michael O'Keefe and Caddyshack. Oh, I'm sorry. Miles O'Keefe. Is it Miles, Miles or Michael? I was saying Miles, but Miles is uh, Ator, the fighting eagle in, in those uh, Italian Conan the Barbarian ripoff movies, a.k.a. Uh, Cave Dwellers, if you're a Mystery Science Theater fan. so my, my It is office. Michael. I can never keep him straight. <laughs> but, I mean, some of the production notes almost imply that he was going to come back and do the Jonathan Silverman role, and there's a line Jonathan Silverman has about him being home from college, so what if it's Mikey or... What's it, Danny gone to college and come back? And I'm like, dude. But that would be eight years later. It would be eight years later. Miles O'Keefe went completely bald, or Michael O'Keefe went completely bald two years after Caddyshack. Like, he looked like 45. He's looked 45 since 1984. And I mean, like, you couldn't have brought him back. And it's like, the Ted Knight part was Robert Stack. So I'm like, well, Ted Knight was dead. So how could you have been Oh, he writing? was already. I think he I- was, yeah. Oh, because, uh, yeah, Robert Stack is filling in for the Ted Knight part. When but... did Ro- yeah, I thought he was. Um, and so you just like, and there's, Harold Ramis even has a line where he's like, I told Peter Goober, I'm like, dude, nobody wants to see this movie without Rodney Dangerfield. And they said, no, we're making it anyway. 
<laughs> because that's perseverance. Yeah, and I don't know. They could have gotten somebody better than Robert Stack. My problem with Robert Stack is he's a very early 80s SNL kind of uh, like guest comedy guy because he's not really, you know, he's a serious actor, but like he's one of those serious actors who gets cast in a comedy role so that he can just sort of do his persona. And he has this, Robert Stack's voice has kind of a funny quality to it, but I don't know, like carrying through it as a villain, it's a little monotone. It's, it has, he has none of, uh, you know, uh, Judge Smale's uh, cadences and flies and, you know, he doesn't ever fly into a fit of fury. That's the thing about uh, Ted Knight is, you know, he could, he could, he could romance uh, Danny with a fresca and also, you know, throw a golf club into the air. But with Robert Stack, it's just kind of one note, much like, uh, well, I mean this in a, you know, neutral way, Jackie Mason, because Jackie Mason is funny. I agree. He's very likable, but it's, he kind of can't help the movie any with his likability. And also he's a little monotonous, maybe even more so than, uh, than Rodney Dangerfield. Because Rodney Dangerfield is kind of a raucous guy. But yeah. you know what? We should really get to the plot of this because, I mean, Rodney Dangerfield didn't have a plot to worry about. Nobody in Caddyshack had a plot to worry about. But There's like a I, plot here, yeah. As I alluded to earlier, like, this is this... This is the, I mean, you've got like wasp racism in, in the very first scene. It's like, holy crap, this movie's, uh, Caddyshack 2 is out to make a statement about, you know, late 80s yuppie wasp greed or, or something. It, and, you know, Jackie Mason needing to change his name to join the country club. Uh, again, it's like, you know, the, the rich snobbery is there in Caddyshack 1 to be laughed at, but... In part two, it's like you're really supposed to hate these people. Yeah, and I they sort of do that with the um, the young people they introduce in this one. That's it, yeah, right. It's Mason. It's, it's, it's Mason's daughter wants to join the club. Mason, the, yeah, the, she wants to. She wants to shed her vague Jewishness and join the because they never say they're Jewish. No, they're half Jewish, half Armenian, and half English. That's uh, three halves. Well, my mother was a big woman. Uh. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, they're named. They're the Hartunians. So I guess they're mostly Armenian. And it's Jackie Mason, though. So of course it's the <laughs> right. But um, yeah, it's it's. It's just perplexing. It's just, so because... it's just so odd to see it being taken seriously in the sequel and the first movie didn't take it seriously. It would be like if Revenge of the Nerds 2 like, was more socially conscious than the first one. It was It was about the bullying and how bad that was. <laughs> it, was an, yeah, it was an early anti-bullying screed. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, there's this, the whole... Okay, so we didn't even get to the damn plot. Okay, so... Jackie Mason is making intentionally made Jackie Mason is worth hundreds of millions of dollars in construction. And he's now dedicating his life to making affordable housing for um, middle to low income families. And he's doing it near Bushwood. And so Bushwood members are on the preservation committee and they try and save this barn that's pretty funny when he, he's talking about how it's a barn but anyway so he gets he but at the same time his daughter's going to the club uh she wants to join he goes with her he gets kicked out at some point and then he has to have the tennis match or the he's got to have the golf game at the end but at one point he buys bushwood because he's so rich he just buys it from chevy chase by Bushwood, it's like they're continuing from from Dangerfield threatening uh, threatening Smales at the end of the first part because it was going to be the same character. Yeah, that's another like I boy the whole you know isn't it funny how he turns the golf course into a tacky mini golf type place oh. and then and they have the show the golf showdown at the end of the movie is on a mini golf course. It just it just feels uh, it feels like humor from by people who don't understand humor, which is odd because Harold Ramis is co-credited as a writer with his writing partner, but it's not their script. So, yeah, and 
you know the lawsuits in this movie i mean or around this movie um you know the fact like like i think you mentioned harold ramus wanted to take his name off of it and they said no we need your name off on it or it's gonna you know hurt the movie uh i don't know if this was on imdb trivia i think but did bill murray really sue over the creative rights to the gopher bill murray claim he invented the gopher he sued they... over the gopher, and then Warner Actually, I... sued Rodney Maybe... Dangerfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. And he was like, fine, here's some money. Go away. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the, the miniature golf stuff's shitty, and Randy Quaid's in it too much at that point. Randy Quaid's awful, even though this movie has one of what should be, would have been a great line for Sam Kinison. It, it's got one of the handful of PG rated movies with the word fuck in it. Oh yeah. It does. And that's one of the, it used to be, you could say it once in a PG movie, as long as it wasn't sexual. And then it went up to like, you could say it three times in a PG 13, as long as it wasn't sexual. So, you know, it's like this weird, there's only a few others I've seen that actually have have it in it, so yeah, yeah. But he, I think that's that's another kind of odd or kind of irksome thing for this is it's got that feeling of Revenge of the Nerds too, where it's a you know a watered down, toned down sequel that's trying to act raucous, but really isn't as much as the first film. Yeah, so you got the crappy so golf course. Yeah. And then, I don't know, I think the end. Oh, wait a minute. What? How could we have uh, gotten this far and not mention Dan Aykroyd filling in for oh, Bill Murray? God. <laughs> I kind of get your fondness for the movie in the sense that if it weren't, maybe if it weren't for Aykroyd and, and, uh, and um, Quaid, it would be okay. But, yeah, between the two of them, it's just brutal. And Dan Aykroyd has, like, so little time in it, <laughs> but he manages to, like, make the worst of the time that he has. He has this – I mean, you even mentioned it in your stop button review. He, It's like no, nobody told him that the voice he came up with for his character was funny. It sounds like he, he's – it sounds like he's making fun of Bill Murray's character from the first movie, like, in a mean-spirited way. Like, oh, Bill Murray. Like, everybody thought Bill was so funny just playing a <laughs> retarded guy. Oh, I'm going to kill a gopher. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, hey, why? You know, they're like, oh, Dan, um, you know, you, you in? Yeah, I'll, I'll use the voice. That's I've figured it out. Uh, and watching watching the trailer for Caddyshack 2 was informative because you would think it stars Chevy Chase. Um Everybody else is barely in it, even uh, even Jackie Mason. Um, Dan Aykroyd probably gets featured in the trailer to to part two more than uh, Jackie Mason. You know the you know would you suck the poison out of my butt, Robert oh. Stack uh, line. It, it's rough. <laughs> it's rough stuff. Hey, at least the go. Hey, at least the Gopher puppet. You know is. They clearly spent a few more bucks on that. They were and like, he has a lot more <laughs> and Ken, to do. And, also, and Kenny Loggins. They were like, who can we get? You know, the okay, we don't have Dangerfield, but we've got Loggins and we've got the Gopher puppet back from part one, and we can still call it Bushwood. <laughs> That's what we got. Yeah, and um, yeah, Dan Aykroyd. There's this awful, awful scene where Robert Stack meets Dan Aykroyd, and. It's a street scene, and um, the joke is that Robert Stack's, well, the punchline is his car gets stripped while he's there. But, (laughs) excuse me, it looks like it's the the Warner backlot, and it's like you're, I'm looking at it the last, when I watched it, and I was like, this is like a street scene out of Police Academy. (laughs) Right. But like Police Academy 4. It's not even like a street scene out of Police Academy 2 or 3, you know, where it started to get iffy. It's out of 4, where they're like, you guys have less money to film this than an episode of Family Ties. Like, get to it. Right. Um, uh, I'm looking at that scene now. Yeah, it is definitely a backlot. And, and even even the, uh, even the golf course scenes feel kind of small. I mean, I don't know where they shot them, but 
the first movie was on a real golf course. Second film, even if they shot it on a real golf course, they didn't even shoot it right. Well, no, it's Alan Arkish. I mean, oh, but, but you know what? Oh, well, here, here's a little irony. Uh, I'm about to defend Alan Arkish. Okay. Where you were just defending Caddyshack, too. All right. Um, Alan Arkish has directed two really funny movies, Rock and Roll High School and its follow-up, uh, Get Crazy, which is criminally out of print, uh, no DVD, and really needs to be revived and re-released by Shout Factory or something. Um, and also, he I haven't seen it, but he co-directed uh, Hollywood Boulevard with Joe Dante, and that's probably good for a few laughs. I mean, it's all part of the whole, you know, Roger Corman, Paul... Right. Paul Paul Bartel, Mary Warrenov scene, and and Paul Bartel is in Caddyshack too. Yeah, by the he's way. really funny. Yeah, and that's and that's Arkish's doing. So yeah. I, I like okay. Alan. I, I you know, except for this, I like Alan Arkish from what I've seen of his other films. Although I'm sure I'm sure he's made a few other stinkers, but Rock and Roll High School and Get Crazy, come on, especially Get Crazy. Get Crazy in particular is worth tracking down. But I feel like that's exactly what this is. It's somebody who who hit it big with indie. It's like, I don't know, if they'd hired John Carpenter to direct Star Trek V and for some reason reason he did a terrible job with it. Like, John Carpenter's like, you know, I'm really sorry about that. Like, they gave me the video game, man. It's like really crazy. You fly a little Enterprise around the Atari screen because, or he was like stoned the whole time. Like, it, it, it's taking a director who was big once in the in the genre, like, and then putting him in after his prime. Yeah, well, I mean, Rock and Roll High School and Get Crazy, especially those are really high energy comedies, and that's something that you know comedies sort of need. I mean, even Caddyshack, as much as we were saying it's like you know laid back and casual feeling, it's still got a you know a driving energy to it and a speed to it. Uh, Caddyshack too just you know languishes uh, often, and I feel like it, you know the the seriousness it decided to take itself with is part of the how much it languishes because the movie just grinds to a dead halt whenever like you know Robert Stack is being villainous. I mean, e- even though Ted Knight is like so effective, like he's almost Ted Knight in the first movie is almost like uh, Thomas F. Wilson as Biff in the Back to the Future movies. Like he's that perfect balance of buffoonish but also like a credible villain robert stack uh, being a villain doesn't really cut it because like i said we're supposed to hate him there's too much plotting too like they're they're out to get jackie mason why would you want to get rid of jackie mason he's he's adorable he's you know he's yeah. got all the japanese golf clubs that do stuff oh that's the other thing with this is there's a lot <laughs> of special effects like Every golf ball. Oh yeah, not like just the go- some... not just the gopher puppet, but also like you know, anim- animated golf balls. Animated golf shots. balls yeah. and uh, bad whole, CGI. The whole, uh, the whole mini golf uh, set at the end, or you know, outdoor set, and yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of it's definitely overproduced. Um, well, I mean, I mean, it's it's Goober Peters. Exactly. The That's year exactly before what I was going to Batman. Say. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, they're they're kind of in their eighties excess uh, heyday here, and that's sort of why they had the hubris to go forward without some of the essential cast of the original. It's like, no, fuck it, we'll make it work. You know, we're still we're still the producers. We can still get Kenny Loggins to write another song. And the Kenny Long song, Kenny Loggins uh, song, irks me too because when the movie starts, it's like it's this up tempo tune that kind of sounds like I'm all right, and it's just trying to, you know, instead of trying to create something new and and different, it just feels like they're trying to rehash what they can rehash, and even the lyrics of the song are oh, like they're referencing awful. They're the first wonderful. Movie. <laughs> it's just I'm awful. going all the way, and it's, it's like. like- it's like a parody of a Kenny Loggins song it's, or something. The subtitle of the song is Back to the Shack. <laughs> like. <laughs> right. Nobody's Fool, right? Back to the Shack. Yeah, something like that. It's just awful. I mean, I think he's got a, I think he's got a couple of songs on, on the soundtrack album f- available from Warner Records and Tapes. But... It was actually on Compact Disc. I looked it up because I tracked it down. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, I don't know. 
and the, a, the, how how douchey is it that the lyrics of the song are referencing dialogue from the first movie? Oh, Kenny, it's just Kenny, Kenny Loggins is like, after all these years, I'm still trying to be the ball. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and it's just like oh. shut the shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, you're just, making me lo- you're making me lose hope, and the opening credits aren't <laughs> even over. Like the the gopher mugging for the camera was bad enough, but. Yeah, <laughs> but you gotta bring it back—the diet root beer that doesn't exist. Because who the hell would drink a diet root beer? And then you know she drops it. And then I mean, I don't know. I just it's it's. Uh, I I don't like the police academy movies anymore. I mean, so I I clearly do. I can clearly separate my childhood uh, affection for something. But yeah. like I, for some reason, I think it's terrible and funny when the go the gopher at the end is like you know gonna get busy with a poodle. That's just it's terrible. <laughs> well, like, that's that's it, a bit more that's a bit more the Alan Arkush I appreciate. That's a very well, no, I don't I don't mean it's terrible in a bad way. I mean it's just like you know it's it's a weird mix of sort of late eighties class comedies post John Hughes, like. Jessica Lundy and uh, social climber Jessica Lundy getting with um, Jonathan Silverman instead of Brian McNamara. That's that's a really know. good point. That's something I never would have thought of. But yeah, the influence of John Hughes movies are absolutely the difference between uh, the the subplots that the that the teenagers have in Caddyshack One versus Two. Right, because and the their so, their one, social climbing and their status awareness and all right. that. In the first one, like. The, the trouble was he almost knocked the girl up. John Hughes never did that. Like, that's too big for John Hughes. Good God, they never had sex like those teenagers. That'd be wrong. So, you know, it's 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 that whole yeah, it's late the 80s your li- thing. It's, yeah. you know, the It war. also feels like an- real anti-yuppie backlash kind of thing that you were, that you would see in comedies around here. Right. I mean, even even like Revenge of the Nerds too, like which Caddyshack Two has a lot in common with. The more I think about, had like you know, it sort of emph- emphasized the the preppiness of its bad guys. Like preppies as bad guys were de rigueur by now, whereas you know maybe even in the early '80s you could kind of have them as protagonists. All the way up to John Hughes, I guess I guess John Hughes kind of killed it by by villainizing them to a to a degree. There's but always anyways. the one with the heart of gold, but yeah, so. <laughs> And that's Ty Webb here. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know. Dina Merrill, who plays Robert Sack's wife, she's really funny because, like, I don't, I don't even remember Ted Knight's wife from the first one doing anything except for the line where she – except for the scene where she's checking out Danny, and that was pretty All funny. Right. <laughs> but, like, Dina Merrill's really funny in this, and, you know, it's just – a lot of the humor is inappropriate, and it's just – it's just – it's like you know, an episode of Night Court. Like it's like if they took uh, you and Night Court. I, I swear. don't. <laughs> it's like if they took some of the good what's his face John Larroquette stuff and turned it into a movie. Like it's just slightly inappropriate, you know. Enough you can get away with it in a PG movie, and then you know, and then you've got the crappy stuff. I mean, there is a lot of Randy Quaid. I mean, there's Randy Quaid dressed up as a hockey player and it's on the poster even oh god is he oh that's right well the poster's actually like they got a nice painted poster (laughs) you know as uh andrew as an avid subscriber to the uh warner brothers merchandise catalog i'm I'm sure you appreciated the uh corporate synchronicity of uh when they're (laughs) sinking their putts into the uh the warner brother like the looney tunes uh uh you know circular uh thing that goes around the hole yeah like like bugs bunny is about to pop out but the gopher pops out they have a bugs bunny standee and a and a sam standees in it and all i could think was so how did jackie mason's character afford to license the looney tunes for his golf course <laughs> hey good question i guess but, they're not as strident as disney with their uh reproductions of characters yeah i mean it's just i i have an affection for it i won't def- i won't ever suggest anyone see it hey i i like shitty things too it's fine <laughs> Um, but 
getting back to Goober Peters doing it. Uh, Peters didn't do the first one, right? It was just Goober. Um, I yeah, it was Goober, and he was an exec producer. I think the sole credited producer might have been Doug Kenny, who was okay. one of the co-writers, and and a you know, if not SNL, like Harvard Lampoon uh, type guy. Yeah, and and Neil Canton, who I feel like is another guy who hacks it out at Warner. So, yeah, it's like this weird Warner Brothers had comedy franchises. Like I'm, you know, how well, you they, got a well, com- wasn't wasn't Police Academy Warner Brothers? Yeah, that's what I, yeah. I mean. By eighty, we're in. Okay, so this is eighty eight. Police Academy five would have just come out, and it's like. I don't, these guys can't even launch a sequel to, you know, what, what, anything. They did a Dukes of Hazard TV movie or a direct-to-video thing these days. But back in the 80s, you could actually crank out comedy franchises. It's yeah, even if you crazy. didn't have, even if, even if you had almost none of the original cast, because, you know, what's the cast in a comedy, really? They're just talking heads. Anyways, yeah. uh... <laughs> Leaden sarcasm aside, um, I'm trying to think of one or two other good things to say about this, but I'm not sure. I don't think it's possible. Um, Paul, Bart- Paul Bartel, Bartel the Japanese, won the war, and yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> uh, yeah, nothing else. Oh, hey, one more. Uh, one more thing that they just sort of copy from the first movie, like it's going to make up for anything, is uh, Chevy Chase. Well, I should just say Chevy Chase. Period. But the whole "be the ball" thing, oh, which yeah. somehow, which somehow comes back in the climactic uh, putt of at the end, where they somehow, like the whole crowd goes na 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 and kind of wills the ball into the hole. It's pretty. Yeah, it, it's like they're trying. Uh, yeah. But I got nothing else to say on Caddyshack too. I, I I feel like I wanted to do this episode with you just so I could kind of get your listen 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 to your defense of it. And I I understand it's you know the court you're acquitted on on all charges. All right. <laughs> now I'm gonna see some terrible Jonathan Silverman movie in a couple of weeks and just be pissed off at myself for saying nice things about him as a young leading man. I don't know. Like he's he was very appealing. He got obnoxious in the '90s when you know all those guys grew their hair out. But mm-hmm. you know he's he's very appealing in this, and I feel like you know, whatever. Jessica Lundy, on the other hand, is sort of annoying, but. When you were talking about the seriousness of it, I don't think I brought this up. They actually have a scene where Jackie Mason and his daughter have this like vicious fight, and she storms right. out on him. Like, and then Diane Cannon, who I think is awesome in this, she comes in and she's like, "It's okay. Like, it'll be okay. These things work themselves out." And it's just like this was just awful. This was just this terrible like <laughs> moment for this guy. And yeah, it's 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 weird and. When I saw it, I never understood that Jackie Mason wasn't a movie star. Right, he never was <laughs> before <laughs> like, this, before or after this. You know, he had a TV show that got canceled after five episodes that I watched as a kid because of Caddyshack Two. But you're watching he's this. Much lived, he's pretty much made his whole life on like you know Johnny Carson and Borscht Belt. Yeah, so it's 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 weird too that. Uh, this movie can leave someone with the impression that there's like a bunch of Jackie Mason movies out there. For well, you to go see. Hey, well, I guess, you know, that's a huge compliment to Jackie Mason. I mean, and yeah, he's not bad at all. In fact, uh, you know, I hope I made that clear earlier. He's one of the few likable things in the movie, but even though he stars in it, he can't help it. Like everything else is just too bad. Um, so yeah. anyways, uh, in our next episode, uh, it's kind of a, uh, Kind of a 4th of a July special. First of all, it's a commentary, which we haven't done uh, for a while now, so we're dipping our toes back. And it's kind of a 4th of uh, July movie. It'll be coming out uh, the day after the 4th, um, I believe, which the first Friday in July. Uh, it is a zombie movie, and uh, it is Return of the Living Dead, um, which we've talked about before. Uh, we've definitely talked about Dan O'Bannon before, but... Uh, yeah, no, we just we're just going to uh let the uh let the gums flap through a screening of it cuz frankly it's my favorite movie period and I couldn't talk about it all day and uh you know, it'll it'll be good to kind of 
dissected from a, you know, more clinical standpoint with somebody who probably hasn't seen it 50,000 times. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, twice, yeah. Our, uh, our 4th of July weekend, uh, commentary track on return of the living dead. And, uh, we hope you'll join us for that. So, um, Oh, and don't forget to uh, check back in a couple of weeks for a banter break, 30 minute, uh, update from us on just whatever the hell's going on in movie land. And, uh, yeah, we will join you for that so uh for an alan smithy podcast this has been matt and this has been andrew and thanks for listening i'm all right nobody but about me why you got to give me a fight can't you just let it be We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Best of Alan Smithy Podcasts. This is Jean Bennett. Good evening.